Hi, everybody. Welcome to our fourth episode of Confessions of a PK. Did right you now, what it's called? in all honesty, I kind of almost did. <laughs> I kind of almost, it's been a long week. It's been a long week. But um, right now, we have Rhoda Ajemain with us. Um, she's an Esquire, just so y'all know. Oh, wow. Y'all need help. We'll put her info out there so you guys can get to her, okay? Yes. But um, she's such a wonderful uh, woman of God. I'm going to say that. Um, I follow her on Instagram. We got each other's numbers. And I'm telling you, she's doing great things. One time I told her that I can't wait for her to do a TED Talk because that I is fire. It. Amen. Amen. That I is fire. <laughs> So right now, um, let's us uh, welcome Rhoda. Clap offering, everybody. <laughs> and Rhoda, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, being a PK and all that wonderfulness? Sure. First and foremost, thank you for having me. This is definitely a privilege and it's an honor because there are a lot of PKs out there that you can call, but you called me. So thank you. Um, a little bit about me. My name is Rhoda. I am a preacher's kid by default. I didn't choose it, but it chose me. Um, I, let's see, I live in Massachusetts, but I'm, Connecticut is home to me. That's where my parents live. That's where my home church is. That is where the foundation for all that is Rhoda was established. Um, People don't believe it, but I was born in Ghana. I actually did live in Ghana for like seven years. Um, I lived in Tema, so shout out to Tema girls. I went to Dex for like, three years, I think. Um, I, <laughs> I am, I am an attorney. Yes. By, by trade, by profession. I went to law school. Um, everybody should become a lawyer said no one ever. Um, it's, it's fun. It's fulfilling. I do primarily immigration because my father is a pseudo immigration attorney. What that means is he has never gone to law school, but he came here by himself figured out how to work the system and learned about the visas and everything. And so I figured, okay, I want to be what my dad did not have when he first came to this country. And that's an immigration attorney. And so I focused my practice on that, helping my fellow people, um, you know, get the green cards the legal way. Uh, I like long walks to my bed to sleep. Um, sleep is my hobby. Um, second to making money. Um, <laughs> I believe coffee is on the top of the food group. I don't care what anybody says. I live on coffee, chocolates, and occasionally some protein. Um, but yeah, that is that is me. And I, none of what I just said is a joke. That's actually all factual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she also has um, the Bethel Law. Oh, yeah, that little thing. So, yeah, so I also own a law firm. Um, I started a law firm about two years ago after working for other lawyers for a couple of years. I jumped ship and started doing my own thing. Um, By God's grace, it's thriving. I named it Bethel so that if anything goes wrong, I can always blame God and not me. So it has nothing to do with my name because Bethel means house of God. And so if God forbid something happens, I'm like, God, that's all you fix it. Um, But yeah, so yeah. Oh, you got to love her. You got to love Rhoda. That is amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So now can you, uh, can you share a little bit about your testimony as a pastor's kid and growing up in a, in a pastor's home? Uh-huh. You said an hour and a half, right? Okay, good. We have time. Um, <laughs> let's see. So like most preachers, kids, you know, went to church. I think I was what was called a cultural Christian. 
because I just went to church because my parents made us go to church and it was a culture to go to church. So by default, you're a Christian without mm-hmm. really knowing anything of it. Um, I know, I remember my dad, I think when I was 10 or 11, had a conversation with me and my brother about Christianity and becoming born again and all of that. And I'm pretty sure I could give my life to Christ probably like three times in that year. Um, and then, but then as I grew up, I really just never identified with, with Christ or with God. It was always, I I tell people that I was in the church, but the church was not in me in a sense that like, you always catch me in the church building on Sundays. I had nowhere else to go. I live with my parents. That's what we're supposed to do. Bible studies, you know, always there, but like the church was not in me in the sense that like, I wasn't living the the Christ-like way, Holy Spirit filled and all of that jazz. Um, And so until I think I got to about maybe like my teens, then I started doing like the 80, 20 rule where like it's 80% me, 20% God. Um, and 20% was more so like when I had to take an exam, that's when God would kick in. Other than that, it was all me. Um, <laughs> until I think I saw my brother, so my younger brother was like a really, I always give this, give this testimony. I don't think he actually has ever heard this. Maybe I'll tell him one day. Um, but he was like a big little Wayne fan and knew like every line and every, like he could quote it from here to kingdom come. And then one day I like blinked and all of a sudden I just heard him like he knew scripture, like from back and center. He can quote like everything about Paul. Like he just changed, lived to me what seemed like overnight. And I was like, okay, so this is no longer the the God of my parents, right? Because growing up, it's like, okay, when, you know, African parents are going through something, they go and pray. You know, whenever this issue, they go to church. So it's it became like that, like placebo thing that it's like a default thing that African parents do. Mm-hmm. But it was never like, a young people thing until it became my younger brother's thing. So I was like, oh, okay, so this God actually likes young people too. Cool. Um, and then I saw that my brother went from like number 23 in his like huge high school class, like 500 people to like number seven to like his grades started shooting up. Like he was getting calls from like Ivy League schools, free scholarships. I, I was just like, okay. Like I started seeing the fruits of mm-hmm. what his commitment and relationship to God was 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 bringing about. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I was in college, basically flunking out and becoming friends with acad- academic probation. So I was like, okay, this this God of my brother seems to have a thing with good grades, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna try it out. And so like 2010, so by that time I was sophomore year in college, I was like, all right, let me do this, this, this God Jesus thing. So I started like praying before I took exams. I started getting kind of into the word, like, you know, one foot in, one foot out type of thing. Um, And it worked. It definitely worked. Um, So (laughs) what I tell people is that I live, okay, so I suck at quoting scripture as far as like, I don't know what boulevard and what street is on, but I know. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about okay. it. We all like that. We all okay, like that. Okay, great. Because I'm like, I don't know if it's 2 Timothy, 3rd John. It's in there somewhere. But, it's in the word. It's in the word. It's in the word. But I'm a I'm a big, I think I live out the scripture, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, because that's what it was for me. It was like a trial experience. It was like, like a, you know, let's test this out. Worst case scenario, I end up where I already am. Can't get any worse than that. Best case scenario, you know, this, I transform and great things start to happen. And so I started seeing small transformations. And then 2012, after I graduated college, by the, by the grace of God, oof, um, I my best friend dragged me to this youth conference thing. And it was two things that I hated. Youth and Africans. 
didn't like it. Um, <laughs> and so it was like a youth church African thing. And I was like, I don't want to be here. Um, and so many weird things happened that day when we're heading to the trip. I think it was in Maryland. They were supposed to take Megabus. And this is, I mean, now that I've grown into things of God, I understand, I understand what could have been happening. But it was just like the weirdest things started happening. My parents' house um, to New York is like an hour, an hour, 15 max. So it was like three and a half hours. In the, like the early afternoon, because there was random traffic all of a sudden. Then we finally get the bus and like there's only one seat available. So I was just like, oh, you know, you can go because you actually want to go to the conference. I don't want to go. Look at God. Your God got you a seat. I didn't get one. Um, and just when I was about to like go back home, there's another seat on the bus. So long story short, I, I went with her to the conference. Absolutely hated the first day. I was just like, I don't like these church folks. I don't know them. I don't like these Africans. I don't know them. I don't want to be here. I threw the worst temper tantrum the entire time until the last day. And I remember I was sitting in the back um, and they were just, they were doing a weird, this is one thing I love about, about the presence of God. You know, it doesn't have to be planned. It doesn't have to be structured. It doesn't have to be like organized. Like, okay, we're not going to do altar call. You know, it. I didn't become born again at an altar call. I became born again at a choir rehearsal. Mm. You know, the choir was, they were just rehearsing for, and it was all young people. They were just rehearsing for their next, um, for the evening session. And we didn't feel like going upstairs back up to our hotel room. So we just stayed in the conference room where they're rehearsing. And I don't know how I went from the back of the room to the front at the altar, like, like, or crying, snot, like, yes, God, yes. Like, just that, talk about like that magnet yeah. pull that's what it was mm-hmm. it wasn't anybody sitting up there and saying that you know um now is the time you know you never know when you're gonna die and hell is real no it was none of that because as a preacher kid we know all of that stuff like we hear it so there's really nothing you're gonna say that's like oh wow i didn't know that yeah. so I, and i think that's how it speaks to how god knows his children because i'll be honest if if it was an altar call, I probably would have been like, no, nah, I'm all set. I've been there, done that. It's all, it's all good. But the fact that it was just music and worship and then like other people, like the entire atmosphere changed. And that's where I found myself on the floor. And it was May 2012. And I've been born again since then. One of the things you were talking about earlier before, how you, how you came to, to your faith and mm-hmm. you're talking about it was, a, it, was a, it was worship. And for me, if you want to tug on my heartstrings, worship songs. That's that, it. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor, and and I like to think that sometimes God gives me good sermons to preach, and I love a good sermon, and I can mm-hmm. jump out of my feet, on my feet at, at a really good sermon. But without a doubt, worship songs is the way that I go, which is sometimes dangerous because I'll be driving. And I've been doing worship, which, I is, a, which is not testify good. Testify to the church. Yeah. I'll be crying. Yeah. I'll be at the stoplight crying. Like, yeah. Yeah. And people will be like, watching me. Doing the whole 76 to 80 on the on the pike. And you're, yeah. 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 Been there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I remember a specific story of how, this, this is not how I became a Christian, but this is how I, I ended up surrendering mm. to God about his calling on my life because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be a pastor. I, no one, I, no one ever, none, none of the good ones ever wanted to be. I made you it know, very clear. You to don't God. want to be our pastor's wife. Nobody wants to be. I, I was the like, weird ones. I was like, I don't want to be a pastor. I will make money and support you mom and dad. So for the longest time, what I did was <laughs> I joined the military 
Cause okay. in my head, you were trying to run away. You trying to get out. I like I'm that. Like, <laughs> he trying to be like Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> but really, wow. I know. Wow. I, I was like, hey, if I'm shooting people, God ain't gonna call me. Yeah. Okay. Right? So you thought so that's what you that's thought. What I thought, but I remember this. It was in 2004. I was sitting in my barracks. It was Fort Drum, and I had just bought this DVD. And I still have that DVD, and it's called uh, it's the Passion Conference. I don't know if you know, never heard of the Passion Conference. I've heard about it every year mm-hmm. in January. This is huge conference put on by the Passion Church, and it's you know Chris uh, Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman, Louis Giglio, like all these great. This is when Chris Tomlin was starting out. So many mm-hmm. people didn't mm-hmm. know him, mm-hmm. um, but there was this one particular uh, song, "The Wonderful Cross." Mm. And I'm about to cry. Yes, I'm about to. Like, I cannot listen to that. No, song he's a little sentimental sometimes. Without crying. <laughs> because I remember watching that. And I also, you're talking about, you don't know how you got from the back room. Listen, it front. was a big, it was a conference room too. It was a huge room. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves because I was on my bed watching this and my, my TV was mm. far away. And the next thing I know, I was in front of the TV on mm. my knees. Wow. Falling. Wow. And, and and I rem- I would never forget this. I, I saw this image. There was this, so they were singing the wonderful cross and they brought an actual cross to the stage. And I'm getting goosebumps. Oh my goodness. And they said, if you are here and you have any burdens, run to the wow. cross. Wow. And about 3,000 college students flooded to the cross. And I remember, and the cross was not, nothing was holding it. It was this group of people holding the cross up. And the cameraman panned to this one particular girl. And she was crying. You know how women cry with mascara on? So you can see mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this, her whole makeup was yeah. ruined. And wow. And I Church remember. every Sunday. Let's go. Listen, it's to the point that I just not bring it all together. I <laughs> and, and, and I remember God clearly saying, "You see that? Mm. That is what I'm calling you into to work with college students." Mm. And and I remember calling my parents so much overjoyed, like I'm gonna be a pastor. And you know what my dad said? My mom and my dad. In all my excitement, they were like, we knew. <laughs> and it was the most anti-climatic yeah. ever. It's like, nice, just like, of, nice yeah. of you to join us. We've been here for about five years. Where have you been? Yeah. But, but, ever but, since you were in the womb, we knew. I know. Right. It, was, it was such, for me, it was such a blow because I, I remember calling people that I know and not a single person was surprised. I even called, you got, I don't know if you guys know Ray Kuya. I even called her in Ghana and I was mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm going to be a pastor. And she's like, Nanako, see, we knew this. <laughs> she's like, I was surprised you joined the military because wow. when we were kids and we played pretend, you always fought to be a pastor. I don't remember wow. that. But that kind of brings me to my next question is, my parents never pressured me Mm. into the ministry mm. mm-hmm. not not once did mom and dad say no although now that they know that i've given in i've surrendered 
Oh, that it's on. Just remind me, like, remember you have a calling mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. But, but before two thousand and four, and even after two thousand and four, when I was in college, they never pressured me until I actually got my went to seminary. So my question is, uh, growing up, did you mm-hmm. ever feel any pressure? Not not to be a pastor's kid only, but what are some of the pressures you you went through, or or, or if you went through any pressures in your life? to be something different than you are now? Uh, I think it's inevitable to feel pressure, um, especially as a, as a preacher's kid. But the pressure didn't come from my parents, mm. at least not within, you know, oh, go, go be in ministry or becoming, you know, read your Bible, none of that, even to this day. Um, because again, like, like I said before, I am the do as I do because I'm allegedly stubborn. It's still not proven yet, but they claim I am. And so I'm not necessarily the kind of, the kind of person that you would like tell me to go do this. And cause I, I would hit you with, without blinking with why, you know, and then mm-hmm. they become a whole conversation. And then you'd be like, you know, forget it. So they never pressured me, um, to, to pray or anything like that. It was I think my only pressure, I think I speak for my brother as well, was just to focus on school and get good grades and go to college. And even going to college, it wasn't like, oh, you have to go to college. It was just they they pushed us towards education. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Like, our professions weren't even chosen for us. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think I chose my profession when I was 10, turning 11. Um, so even that, there was no pressure there. It was more so this is what I wanted to do. My parents bought into it and then supported it and pushed it through. Mm. So as far as like my Christian life, no pressure from my parents. I think the pressure came from the people. Um, and then as I grew up, the people's pressure kind of, I coerced my parents to start placing some pressure mm. on me. Mm. What I mean by that is, oh, we are so for back. Why are you just like this? We are so for back. Mm. Why are you doing this? We are so for back. Why aren't you doing this? You know, so for back. And, and, uh, and, yeah, and, just preacher's kid. So and, and, no, sorry, I'm preacher's gonna, kid. I was going to say, and for non-tree speaking people. The irony that I am here speaking tree when I no, barely speak. I know the thing is that I, anyone who listens to this is gonna be like, "That's not Rhoda." Yeah, I don't know who y'all got on the radio, but that's not Rhoda. Rhoda, I you ge- and I both. You and I both. Yeah, I generally don't speak tree, but of late, it's just it's flowing. This this turning thirty thing. Um, but but yeah, the pressure came from more so people who felt as though they were doing my parents or doing me a, a service by like being extra dramatic and putting all these un- unreasonable expectations on on me um because it got to a point that sometimes i would go go to places and i'd come home and my dad would be upset about certain things and it's because somebody saw me somewhere miss completely misread what they thought they saw mm-hmm. called him and he may not even be, have been upset with the situation but the fact that someone else has now seen it and is thinking something now they have mm-hmm. to react yeah mm-hmm. you get me so it, that's what i mean by as i grew, grew up that's where i think the pressure came from because there were so many things perfect example um i did before i i, I turned i think 17 i started working all of my clothes were purchased by my parents right mm. and i live in my parents home my mother is not shy she's not going to let you leave the house in something that she doesn't think is appropriate my father mm. is the same exact way and there were times that i remember this one particular time i actually um i got dressed i left the house my dad actually complimented me on what i was wearing he's like oh you look really nice today blah blah blah, blah. cool i go to church some woman besides i don't look like what i should be looking 
So she decides to tell me about myself. Oh no. Um, and this was before Rhoda was all the way saved. And so her tongue <laughs> was 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 a little, you know, I I, I come I back was not so holy. I tell people I, I sometimes I carry the spirit of John the Baptist, you Buddha Vipers. That is that is my thing. Um, so it was a John the Baptist moment with me and her. And then she threatened that, you know, the age old, I'm going to tell your dad about no problem. Because the thing is, he what saw I was me wearing, get out of the house. he saw me leave the house. He actually complimented what I was wearing. He actually bought what I'm wearing. So please go and tell him that what he is, he with his own money has bought for his daughter is inappropriate because you say so. Um, and my dad got upset, got very upset with, with the, with the person. I mean, he didn't ex- express that to her, but the woman actually had ended up talking to my mother, who then my mother came to talk to me about it. And I, and so I explained to them what happened. And my dad was like annoyed that she would even come and address me in such a way because one thing that I love about, about my parents is they are more concerned about changing and transforming the hearts of the Christian because they believe that, you know, if once your heart is transformed, the external will change as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to come and sit here and tell you what you should and should not wear from the pulpit. That's not our place because I don't know if that's all you have in your closet to wear. And I don't know if, you know, what life you lived before. And this is the closest thing, the church clothes that you own. And I'm not going to condemn you because of that. So that is like their, their, um, their understanding as as relates to attire. So for a person to make, and I was like 17 or 16, you know, so that's the most pressure I would say that I've experienced. Um, my profession, no pressure. My, even my Christian life nowadays, like even, even now I don't get pressure. Like my parents have never said, go and read your Bible, go and pray. I think uh, the closest I could say to that is probably my mom. Um, being a mom, but you know, yeah, one of those like, have you prayed about this type of thing, or have you talked to your pastor about it? Like, that's the closest, but yeah. yeah. So, one thing though, like, with when it comes to pressure, my well, okay, let's talk about the calling first, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for me, I, like, the same with Samuel, I think my parents knew. You know, I have the gift of singing. So, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do, yeah. girl. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be part of the ministry. Right. The one part of the ministry I did not want was to be a pastor's wife. And right. then I, I think I've told the story on the first episode where a pastor, Bishop, I think it was Bishop Williams. He came for a youth conference, you know, House of Faith and youth came together mm-hmm. and he prophesied over me. And then he's mm-hmm. like, first question he asked me was, what do you want God to do for you? So mm-hmm. I'm like, more anointing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I said more anointing when I sing, and he goes, "That's easy. That's that's easy." And mm-hmm. then he said something about being a pastor's wife, and I was like, and I started bawling. When I'm saying crying, snot, mascara everything and then he looked over at his wife and he goes you see her she didn't want to be a pastor's wife but now look at her and then I was like oh no but my parents weren't surprised by that either they never mm-hmm. pressured me into it until I came to accept it but even when I came to accept it unlike you Nike they never said uh, we knew my mom just kind of looked at me and was like mm-hmm, okay so in in light of that I started to watch my mom and mm. there's a lot of things that my mom does that is very influential. Like the way that my mom handles 
um, the congregation, mm-hmm. her heart for people. Even though my mom is a no-nonsense person, but she's still soft towards the people. And then watching my dad, and it's like, God, can I really do this? Like, Listen. like, can I really do this? Because there have been times where we've heard people insult my dad in our own home. <sighs> and then I would turn and look at my mom, and she's like, calm. Uh, and I'm uh-huh. like, uh-huh. God, can I can I really do that? Because See, that's the part why I feel as though I don't know if this calling thing is for me because I don't know if I have the grace for that calm. Because <laughs> even even now, I, I remember it was like last Christmas, and I won't go into too much detail, but the person might actually listen to this and know that it was her. Um, but I was standing like I, I sit behind my parents in church. I'm sorry to cut the story off. Um and some woman was just storming down the the, the church sanctuary, pastor, just talking all right. The way the hood arose in me, the spirit of the hood, I got in between her and I was just, I was looking at her like, what's really, like, what's really finna pop up? Because you're not just going to run up to him like that. And she was saying like, oh, I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you type of thing. So then my, and yo, this is what I'm just like, my mother has a grace that like, I just want one eighth of it. Mm-hmm. She's like, so, cause I'm like, okay, if this is my husband, I'm now pulling out guns. But she's just like, oh, like, a dang, a dang, like, what, what is it? Oh, mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, oh, oh. And then she pulls him, pulls her away. I stood there and I was like, I was ready to take my wig off and fight this woman. Like, <laughs> no, like literally that was such an influential moment in my life because I still remember that time where my mom mm-hmm. was just calm, even though she didn't like it because that's her husband. Right. But she was really calm. People can insult her to her face. And she'd be like, God bless you. The <laughs> same thing with my dad. My dad has patience. Like that dude is like annoyingly patient. I said. it's like how how can one person be this patient mm-hmm. with somebody? They can assault you. They can do this. They can do that. And then you pray for them. And it's like, oh, I got to learn how to do that because, yeah. you know, so I just want to ask, do you have any? Well, I feel like the story you just told is an influential moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have a lot of them. I, I definitely yeah. have a lot of influential moments um, because I, I think by nature, I am like very defensive mm-hmm. and protective of, of me and mine. Um, but watching my parents, and it's it's weird, as much as I say these things, when it comes down to those moments where it's happening in my own life, like where somebody is doing something that I would generally want to like react to, I've noticed within the last three years, two or three years, like Mm -hmm. I am calm. Like there's this weird, you know, change that's taken place. And I, I I think it's, I mean, I think I know it's the transformative power of the Holy spirit point blank period. Cause I have asked my mother, um, cause sometimes sometimes she'll share these um, experiences or like talk about how somebody that you stay up all night with, you know, and fast and pray for, but then now come and insult you and be mad at you. And it's like, how did you not slap her when you saw her on Sunday? And all she says is, you know, it's it's just grace. It's literally yeah. just just a grace. And I think it comes, which is why I, this is where I've reconciled with God, that if truly, truly this thing that you keep calling me to is really for me, between now and when I step into it, some divine grace will descend. 
and that is how I'll know that it is for me. Because if between now and whenever, you know, it happens, if I'm still regular Rhoda, then it's not my calling. Because I, I, I think there's a special grace that comes upon pastors' wives to play the, the role that they do. And there's a, there's a special grace in addition to that shepherd's heart that comes with pastors, mm-hmm. you know, to do what they do. So, it hasn't reached me yet, so. Would you say, <laughs> so would you say that you haven't really had a most influential moment? Yeah. A most influential moment, as in watching my parents? Like in your, yeah, like with your parents, something that makes you Rhoda. Like what was the most influential moment in your life that kind of was like, kind of like transformed you into the Rhoda that we see yeah. today. Like looking back, what is like, and it doesn't have to be like a big, and, and, and the sky parted and the dove came down. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like it has, it can come with like the pressure, like if it's pressure or anything, like what? I would say. 2015, I went through a pretty bad um, heartbreak or breakup or relationship thing. Um, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm not, this is gonna sound bad. I'm not that woo 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 emotional vulnerable girl. You know, I'm a little, a little rough on the, on the, around the you edges. You're a lawyer. So um, yeah, that. you know, I mean, there's, there's a little soft spot, spot in there, like way down in the abyss somewhere back there. Judith but be Jan- sarcastic. Judith's like, PK's date? <laughs> we, we don't, we don't date. We fellowship. We fellowship. <laughs> we, we fellowship with one another. Exactly. <laughs> and, and if one stakes, one sticks let's go exactly <laughs> uh this this fellowship you know went, went around for for a bit and it i think how the fellowship broke up um <laughs> it, it hit and it hurt and i would say that's when i realized that you know my relationship with god or even my my growth and development is truly an internal thing yeah. Because you know, my best friend, bless her heart, was there with the chocolates at my front door, like, oh my God, I'm here, you okay? Like trying to take me out. Like, like th- this this relationship was the point that family was involved. Like it was it was very, very serious. Oh, yeah. Okay. So like family was involved. Um, so my, my obviously it was like a, it was like a regular breakup. It was it was a pretty devastating thing. And even in my parents attempting to console me, my best friend attempted attempted to console me, like just life in general, it was those moments alone with just me and God that helped me heal, you know, and I healed and bounced back, I think pretty quickly considering the circumstances. And it happened at such a pivotal moment in my um, life. I was going into my last year of law school and it was so bad that people were like, you know, it's okay if you take time out from school. And I was like, me, stop a degree because of Because of like, come on, come on. Because all I was thinking about was my salary. And I was like, so some man's gonna stop me and my money? No, 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 no. We can't you know, but, but like that's that's what they saw on the outside. But like when I when I sat down and retreated to my private corner, it was that fellowship with God, you know, that that, you know, after Saul came David, you know, that I indeed promise you this and I'm going to come through for it, you know, come through with mm-hmm. it. I I see you. I'm, I know you're hurting, but this too shall pass. Like it was those moments that spurred and kind of took me to a different place mentally, emotionally and spiritually and brought about the blogging. Mm. that I started yeah. that I've been doing so I, I would say that's the most influential thing that's that's broader you know because even my pers- perspective on life has changed because when you go through something that unexpected and that bad and maybe to some it's not that bad but for me it was 
I was not looking for a relationship and this kind of fell on my lap. And then I opened up myself to it and then it kind of blew up. So it was like, whoa, 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 what's all this happening? Where you think like you have a control on your life and you realize that, no, you have no control. Of course. So, and, and that has just, you know, that's kind of how everybody should check out her blog because I'll be checking it out too. Ooh, she, would start, she would start out with something very simple and you're like, wait, what? And then she hits you with the word. And it's yeah, like, okay. I, I, hook you. I think the one that got people the most was, uh, what if I told you I was pregnant? I didn't know who the father was. Yeah. Oh, oh, people were like, like, whoa, whoa. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> like, and I'm like, can you go back and finish reading the post and then come back and talk to me, please? Because it's literally the first two sentences. And then yeah. they see that and they're like, oh my God. I'm like, go you're supposed to click on more. See more. Like, go read. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's crazy. Could you imagine that preacher's kid got pregnant, doesn't know who the daddy is, and she's posting it on social media? Yeah. Oh, it my. does happen. It does Especially in an African, African household. You know, um, <laughs> you will feel bad for her. You're, you're, tr- you're trying to give you're trying to give people a heart attack. That's, that's not. Some, somebody was like, "I'm going to call your dad." And I was just like, "Okay, let's okay hit the brakes now. Chill out before my dad actually thinks something something's really going on." Yeah. Because the next thing you're gonna know, you're gonna get a phone call. Phone call. They're showing up at my front door. What is this that you're posting on Instagram? What what pregnancy? Yeah. Oh my god. You don't want to hear that. <laughs> hey, um. So I know you, you kind of mentioned this a little bit about you, your career path that you chose. You at ten years old around. There. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is I'm, what I'm a little weird. Which is three years after you came to America, and I think that's yeah. pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, I'm very much interested about Zion Hand, right? I know you started Bethel, and that's great. And we're gonna we're gonna get into that too, but um, I want I want you to kind of walk me through. Uh, and this is really about you because part, part of what we're doing is, and again, I want to mm-hmm. make this clear, you know, confessions mm-hmm. of a PK, it's not really, we're not just here to talk about just being a PK, but we also want to show the world that as PKs, we have our own identity. Absolutely. Right? So, so I really want mm-hmm. to talk about you and what you're doing. I think being a lawyer is amazing, by the way. Um, I can't do it. I know you, that much. You took something, you took something that, um, I'm really good at, and that's what I wanted to do with my life was being a lawyer. And God, it's not too late. It's not too late. Well, you know, gonna be the pastor lawyer. You know, um, do you know what's funny? My pastor is an attorney. Was well, a lawyer. Yeah. yeah, both both them. Both he and his wife are both pastors. They're they're lawyers. So you go Actually, to faith. Faith Fellowship, because I, yeah. because I, I have to differentiate before people start thinking like, oh my God, why did she leave a father's church? Because I, I did an interview and someone thought that I'm like, no, 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 no. I, my parents live in Connecticut. That's my home church. I live in Massachusetts, a different, different state, and so my church here. Church. I think, I think uh, you and I have similar path because the path I didn't take is all the path you took because I got accepted into stores, Connecticut. Uh, you caught, yeah. And and I turned it down because I, I applied late. What well, I applied late, so there was no housing for me. Okay. And, okay. and I was like a year old in America, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna commute to stores from Bridgeport. So. Oh wow! Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. was that was that would be a long commute. commute yeah. To school, so I didn't do that. And then when I started college, my major was um, I was justice and law. I was my first one. I was justice in law and accountant because my goal was eventually getting to the FBI. Mm. That's what I wanted to do. And this was when 
you know, FBI was really getting into um, financial crimes and stuff like that. White collar crimes, yeah. Exactly. So I yeah. really wanted to get into those and, you know, God had other plans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now you live in Massachusetts, which is a place I wouldn't mind living because I'm a Patriot fan and I want to be anywhere close to the Patriot. I was like, no one that lives in Massachusetts, well, unless they're a Patriots fan, actually wants to live in Massachusetts. Well, I don't want to live in so, Boston. I, I don't yeah. want to live in Boston. No. It, the cold out here is like none other. No, no, I love the cold. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Oh. I, I enjoy, I'm the one Ghanaian the, who loves If y'all could see the look on her face right now, she is shocked. Like, love, no, no one says, I love, no black person says, I love the cold. Okay. So there's, there's actually, <laughs> actually, uh, there's, there's a photo of me, um, and maybe post-production we can find it. It's a photo of me on Facebook. My first winter in America, I was just wearing a plain old clothes standing in the middle of the snow. And I was in like, yeah, he was wearing a sweatsuit. Um, no jackets, you know. No jacket, nothing, and it was so <laughs> exhilarating. I don't know. I love, <laughs> and I live in San Diego now. And trust me, it bothers me that it's seventy-five degrees all year round. I need the snow, but anyway, that's favor is not fair. That is all I will say. <laughs> Because where I would be thrilled to have 75 all year. Like today we had, I think, like mid to low 60s. Oh, and no. I was like, what beautiful weather we are having. Not to tell us it's going to be like frosts on Sunday. And I'm like, why do I live here? And here you are, 75 degrees, and you are complaining. Well, Every result, favor I'm is not, not fair. I'm not complaining, but, you know, there's a lot more we can talk about because living in 75 degree year round means you need to make a lot more money to live here. Oh, that's that's good point. Good point. Yeah. But I think as a lawyer, you get a lot more money, especially as an immigration lawyer. You make a lot more money in San Diego. I'm just saying. Hmm, okay. It's a lot of immig- immigration stuff around here. You know, co- good to know. I can walk to Mexico from here. So, you know, you get. <laughs> I'm very close <laughs> to the Mexican borders. Literally. Okay. Yeah. So I might dash some business cards your way and get the market out there going. Please do. Actually, you and I can touch some business because I, so I work with the international students. Oh, awesome. 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 Yes, we can definitely make this work. But anyway, so my question to you, uh, kind of walk me through uh, Zion Hand and, 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 and Bethel too, and mm-hmm. what led you? You said that you worked for a law firm and then you, you kind of felt the need to start your own. Like, what, what kind of led you through that process? And I'm asking that because there might be a PK listening mm-hmm. to this, and that's what we're catering for. And, and maybe not in PKs too, but who want to... Who wants to follow your path and wonder about career paths? So walk me through your career yeah. path and all that. So I, I quote my dad a lot, and this is one of his favorite quotes. Um, when it comes to picking your career, think about what you like to do and would do every single day, even if, even if you were never paid a dollar for it. Mm. Figure out what that thing is and make it your job. Because then you'll never be miserable going to do it because you like doing it anyway for free. So why won't you do it for a check? Um, and for me, it was talking. And so I figured <laughs> I want to be paid to talk and I'm going to find a job that does that. And so it was either journalism or um, law. And I, I'm i not a fan of reading off of scripts, like scripted reading and like following. Yeah, not my thing. I'm more like a freestyle um, 
what's that word I'm thinking about? Improvising and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, that's not going to work for me. And then as I went through middle school, got into history classes, started learning about like, you know, the constitution and realizing that history essentially repeats itself. Um, I think getting to know myself more, I think one of the things my father says a lot about me is that I knew who I was at a young age. You know, I, I never, thankfully, never really suffered from like an identity crisis, trying to blend in or fit in with people. I have just always been solid and, and, and comfortable and confident in who I am. Um, and so seeing, being able to like think, stand up, to, stand up to people, push back, ask questions, be that arguably a rebel. I figured, like, okay, okay, we can package all of that. That's nice. And get a paycheck and call it, call it a lawyer. And that's that. Um, and then once I got into high school, you know, AP Gov, I realized how much I like that, like those mm-hmm. things. And so that's kind of what, you Beautiful. know, steered, it's, it's good stuff. I'm telling you, <laughs> it steered that, that traje- trajectory towards um, a law degree. And, and that's, so that's where the desire came from. Um, you know, in, in Ghana, my major, I, I don't know, you guys were too young to grow up in Ghana, but I grew up in Ghana. I was 17 when we came here. So in Ghana okay. high school, in senior secondary school, you got to pick three majors. So my major in Ghana was economics, <laughs> geography, and guess what? Government. Government, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I I thrive. That's a good, well-rounded package there. That's really good. If you want yeah. to be a politician. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, that's gotta, supposed to be a politician's major. Trust me, my entire life was revolved around government idea. Actually, yeah. at some point, and, I, and Dad and I had this conversation. This is why I felt he didn't ever pressure me. Because when we first came to America, my ultimate goal was to get education here and go back to Ghana and run for president in Ghana. Oh, wow. And what what made me not do that? He was like, you know, you have to go back and live there. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't want to live there? And I was like, no, no, he might go and live there before, like live at least 15, 20 years before you can run, because then you get to live the life of the people. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I really understand it. Because you don't want to be the uh, savior. Coming from outside the country yeah. to go see yeah. them, so that he said it. I was like, "Oh yeah, I <laughs> you didn't didn't think it through, did you?" I'm yeah, th- that that part was like, "Now nah, I'm all set with that." <laughs> all right. So um, on your on your uh, description, you said Zion Hands is the umbrella organization, and there's another organization called Launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Launch? Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about Z- so Zion's Hands basically came about. Uh, 2014, I went to this, the same African youth group that I went to in 2012, they had another one 2014. And one of the things activities was to do like a charity or, or a community service project. Mm-hmm. And it was either to do, um, Habitat for Humanity, Humanity, or go feed the homeless. And I was just like, me and a hammer have no business together. So homeless it is. <laughs> um, so I went and, and gave out, you know, different foods to the, at a homeless shelter. And it was about 12 of us. And I was the only person who was bawling her eyes out as if someone stole my chocolate. Like I was crying because the people that we went to go serve, though broken, were so whole. 
it blew my mind. Mm. Like we were supposed to go pray for this one um, guy and he ended up like singing and praying for me. And I was just like, this is not how it's supposed to work. Like <laughs> this was not the plan here. And I was just so touched. And the, the owner of the homeless shelter pulled me aside and he's just like, the fact that this is hitting you the way it is means that this, you have a calling in this. Mm. And I, and it was true because even growing up, there were moments I hated seeing people you know, without, I, it, it bothered me. There were times that I would be driving. There's this man that lives in my, well, he used to live in my parents' city that I would, I would see him like carrying bags and walking from the grocery store. And I'm just like, I want to just be able to give him this car and say, here you go, take it and go, you know? But like, I, that, that was like a, an earnest prayer of mine. And so when I, I think it was like 2017. Yeah. So before 2017, what I used to do is I would have like um, Ziploc bags and I would put different snacks in it and like a couple of dollars in there. So whenever I see people standing at the, you know, the, the panhandlers, when they're standing at the traffic lights on the road, I would take it and give it to them. Um, and then one, one day a friend of mine got my car and literally saw money in the bag on the floor. So she just like, what in the drug deal is going on in this car? Like, why is there money in a bag on the floor? And so I explained it, explained it to her. And that was the first time, like, my secret, you know, thing kind of became big. Probably. So I decided to, like, yeah, open it up to other people. Um, so 2017, I had, you know, a few ladies come over to my apartment, fed them, we made gift bags. And it was, like, the coldest night of that year and it was snowing and I, I was like, okay, are they going to want to really do this? You know, like it's so cold. But then I thought about it that the people that were going to go and serve don't get to take the day off because it's cold. Like they're, that that's their life. And so we went out and we gave things to them. And I decided that year that I needed to like incorporate this and make this natural organization. And so the whole premise of Zion's hands is that we are the hand of God. Zion, obviously, you know, the, the chosen city on the hill, the Jerusalem, yeah. all that fun stuff. And then the hand means that we are the hand of God to do God's work on, on this earth. Um, so from 2017 to earlier this year, it was purely focusing on the destitute. So like those who didn't have anything like having, um, going out and giving them food, giving them scarves and, and socks and things of that sort. But then COVID happened. Um, mm. and so I had to pivot a little bit because for whatever reason, people within the last, like, well, this was ending of last year, early this year would reach out to me a lot about like careers and school and education and ask me about, you know, it's one thing to ask me if I know anything about being a lawyer, of course, I don't know just thought about being an accountant. So I don't know why you're asking me, you know, but like <laughs> people would message me, ask me about like, like different professions. And I'm like, I don't know, but I have a friend that does. And so I realized that, okay, there are people in need and the people who have, and I'm the bridge. So we're just going to make this thing happen. Mm. And so in a, literally at like 2 a.m. one Saturday into Sunday morning, the entire idea like literally dropped in my head. I reached out to my graphic designer logo person in Ghana. And I told him like, this is a wacky idea I just developed right now. Can we make this happen? And he's just like, say no more. And that is how launch came about. And so launch is, is part of Zion's hands, but it's Design Science has now become the main organization and, yeah. and launch is the career and educational aspect of it. So we held um, free seminars in July and in August. So we did a medical one where like medical students and um, doctors and social workers came to talk about, you know, what it's like to actually practice this yeah. test that they had to take the real life. And then in uh, August, we did lawyers. 
I think July we did lawyers. Yeah, we did lawyers, um, law students kind of talk about their experience. And then we kind of went quiet because I'm still, there's a few things that I have in the works. Because yeah. um, people have been asking me like, oh, what happened with it? It's it's still in the works. Launch mm-hmm. is not, has not crashed. It's still it's still in the air, still going. But there's a few things that I'm, I'm working on right now um, with that. So, See, but the whole, the homeless part. <laughs> The homeless part has now been changed to um, it's under the heading mission seven. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you next. Yeah. Yeah. So seven being the number of completeness and wholeness. And our Mm -hmm. mission is to get the people that we serve to as close as completeness and wholeness as we can, you know, to pick them up from wherever they are and bring them full circle. Hmm. So, yeah, I love that. I love that. I think. um, Thank you. Thank you. Even. Not all ministries is standing in a pulpit. Yeah. Listen, I don't like where this is going. This sounds like a church ministry. I'm not, I'm not starting <laughs> ministry. I don't, no, I don't like this. I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is you have found your ministry, right? Right, right. You have found what you're good at. And, and, and it's amazing to see strong Black women like yourself, you know, seeing a need in the world. And and feeling that I love what you said. There are those who have and those who have not, and you are the bridge, right? And and as it's amazing thought. And and if we can all think that way, if we can all do that in this world, I think our world will be a much better place than it is now. I I am I am I am totally amazed. No, um, thank you, thank you, thank you. With, with you and with everything you're doing. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you something else here. Um, what is, what is your advice for the PKs listening in and resonating with you? You know, there's some PKs listening to you and you know feeling the same things you felt or doing the same. I want to do the same things you're doing. What advice do you have for these PKs? Be yourself, be you, be authentically you. Um, I think that is what has kept me throughout my life. Um, And even in my Christian growth, I am, I don't pretend to be more than I am. And I am the first person to say, I don't know, because I don't know. You don't know what you don't know. No one knows everything. And so I think being myself in public, being myself with God, allows me to to continue to grow, allows me to be comfortable. Like when you are yourself, you just really don't care. Like yeah. it's, you kind of just, you, you have nothing to, to, oh, are they going to think this? No, you're you. This is me. This is me. Right. So I, I think be yourself because the world is going to try to shape and mold you into something that you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easier when you know who you are. So I think one, get to know who you are. Like really be, be honest with yourself. Like I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I am the person, like I was saying, how, the example with that, that lady that was trying to confront my, my father, right? I was myself in that situation. Like, I was like, what you about to do? But I'm also, because I know how I am, I know how to approach God and tell God, this is what I need help with. Help me. Mm. But if you don't know yourself or you don't, you're not being yourself, you go to God and it's, everything's a, fa- it's a facade, everything's a mask, everything's pretend. Um, so I think being yourself, one, allows you to relate with other people, your peers, allows you to relate with, you know, pastors because they need that transparency to be able to shepherd you, allows you to be able to be naked in front of God so that he knows, you know, you, he knows what you need help with, but if you need to acknowledge what you need help with. So I would say all the way through, just be authentically you. That's awesome. That's it. 
Awesome. Don't stay. Don't stay. Don't. Like, let me add this though. Don't, because I think sometimes <laughs> people will say, "Oh, this is me, and that's how I am, and that you just have to deal." No, like, don't make excuses and stay back. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I am myself, but at the same time, I acknowledge my weaknesses and do work on them. So I will add that part too. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, so we can't let you go until we want to. We want to help each other. Right. So if anybody wants to support uh, Zion Hands um, launch Mission 7, what is the best way to contact you, to help out? So it's info, I-N-F-O dot Zion's Hands, so Z-I-O-N-S Hands, H-A-N-D-S at gmail.com. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. No um, problem. Just in case anybody's in Connecticut. Yes, yes. Um, so I am the daughter of um, Reverend Francis Adjamine, the senior pastor and founder of Dominion Church International in West Haven, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. He is the married husband of one woman, <laughs> Mary Adjamin. Um, Mrs. Mary, <laughs> Mrs. Mary Adjamin in, in West Haven, Connecticut. Um, they are a great, great, great um people, great church. I think my parents, uh, they're, they're blessed and have anointing in a lot of different areas. So one of the things I think they have anointing in is, is parenting and, and, you know, teaching people how to parent their children and groom kids and all of that. And so mm-hmm. if you are a, a parent or you have young children, that is, th- those are your mentors. They are your people. What's the address? Oh, oh 126 Prindle Road. So 126 P R I. N-D-L-E Road, West Haven, W-E-S-T, Haven, H-A-V-E-N, Connecticut, 06516. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Um, this the, Today's conversation has been really powerful and very amazing. And and and, and there, is, there is a Bible verse that keeps popping in my head, and I want to share with you today as we close out today. And that is 1 Peter 2.5. Right. And the Bible says that I want to read it right. He said, we are all living stones fitted together um, to uh, to build to build this house of God. And and whenever I read that Bible verse, I keep asking myself, why does it say living stones? Because why do we using stones to build? Because everyone knows that if you want to build, it's better to build with bricks. But one of the things that's so amazing about stones is it's very different. Stones of different sizes, different shapes. And I, I believe deep within my heart that God thrives on our diversity. God thrives on our differences and our uniqueness. And that's how he created us. So if you listen to this today, like, uh, like Rhoda said, be you, be who you are, be who God has called you to be. Don't try mm-hmm. and be someone you're not. Could God thrive in you being who you are? Um, and, 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 if, and if you listen to this and you need to find a purpose, you need to find something you want to do. I have this, I have this key things that I tell my students and, and it's, I think it's really key. Um, they're the four D's of life to find your purpose, right? Uh, the first one is your dexterity, what you're good at, find what you're good at, right? Then your desires, what you love to do, right? Sometimes what you're good and what you love to do are two different things, right? So what you love to do, 
and then demands. What are the demands of the current society you live in, right? And then the fourth one, it's a fun one, the dough, what people can pay you for, right? Find these four things and find your center in those four things and, and pray to God to help you find your purpose in life. Um, if you're listening to this and you do not have a relationship with Christ, I want you to know that God loves you and he is willing to um, he's willing to come into your life and be your personal savior. Um, we're here to help. You know, like Drew said, um, you can slide into our DMs. You have any questions about how to make this faith <laughs> your own, uh, how to how to become a Christian. Like Rhoda said, she realized that there was something different about her younger brother. And she wanted that, mm-hmm. you know. So if you want to have the same relationship, God is ready to meet you. Um, as we always do, if you're in the New Jersey area and you're looking for a place to worship, uh, House of Faith Ministries, uh, right on, it's 900 Edwin Street, and that's North Brunswick. Um, come join us. It, it's an amazing church family. If you're not in New Jersey, uh, find a church-believing, a Bible-believing church close to you and go. If you're in San Diego, I would love for you to visit a church I attend. It's called All People's Church. It's a multicultural church. It's a Bible-believing church, and we will be more than happy to welcome you. Um, remember, God loves you, and you are not a mistake. God yes. created you for a purpose. That's right. So until we see you next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to episode number four of Confessions of a Pastor's Kid. And of course, a big thank you to Rhoda for sharing her story with us. I hope you found it as inspiring as we did. Now we still have a lot in store for you. So join us next time as we talk to my new friend, Cameron. His story is so interesting and I know you'll really enjoy it. That episode is going to be dropping on January 21st. If you're not already, please like and subscribe to this podcast. And also, send us some feedback. We really want to hear from you. Like, I'm not kidding. We really want to hear from you. And if you're a PK and you're interested and you really want to be on this podcast, just let us know on one of our social media pages. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Confessions of PK and on Facebook at Confessions of a PK. Thank you again for joining us. We'll see you next time. Peace.